and welcome to Mideast Junction with me, Anne-Marie Basada. How many of you are familiar with the growing vegan trend? In case you're not, it's eating entirely plant-based foods. So no dairy, no eggs, and definitely no meat. Many claim it's the healthiest diet around, and many also follow it for ethical reasons, since it means animals and animal products are not consumed. And it's growing in popularity. In fact, in a recent report by the Vegan Society, the demand for meat-free food increased by 987% globally in 2017 alone. The vegan trend quadrupled between 2012 and 2017, according to Google searches, and it now gets almost three times more interest than vegetarian and gluten-free searches. Some people cringe when they hear the word vegan because many of the dishes try to replicate animal-based products such as texturized soya for meat or meals chock block of tofu. But over in the Middle East, going vegan is nothing new. People in the region have been knocking back vegan meals and snacks without even knowing they were ahead of their time. Countless dishes are traditionally vegan. Falafel, red and brown lentil soup, taro root with Swiss chard stew, amazing by the way, green mallow, okra stew, bean stew, pea stew, hummus, ground walnut dip, fava bean dip, stuffed cabbage, stuffed grape leaves, stuffed any vegetable for that matter, rice with nuts and raisins, and the list goes on. It's actually interesting because some of my most favorite foods that come out of Egypt are actually the vegan foods. That's Brenda Abdelal. She runs a culinary blog called Mid Eats that brings the foods of the Middle East to people all over the world. Many of the vegan foods you know of likely come from the Levant, so Lebanon, Syria, Palestine, Israel, and Egypt. These are the prime sources, one could say, for vegan foods. Unlike the Arabian Peninsula, which is entirely desert, these areas are fertile and rich in vegetation. Vegetables native to the area grow in abundance, as do legumes. So fava beans, lentils, chickpeas, all of these are found across the region. Lentils originate from the Near East and the Mediterranean regions. In fact, lentils have been found in archaeological digs dating back 8,000 years B.C. and in pharaonic tombs. They've also starred in some biblical stories. Lentils have been around for so long because they are so easy to grow, especially in sandy soil and lots of sun. They are easy to prepare and, above all, they fill you up enormously. While we don't have enough time to visit all the countries and their dishes, we'll look at three countries. We'll go to Egypt, Lebanon, and Yemen. So let's start our culinary tour in the land of pharaohs with a popular meal called kushri that's often referred to as the national dish of Egypt. It's a street food, and as is the case with street food, it's primarily found in abundance in urban areas. It's cheap, and it fills the stomachs of the poor. And it has just four basic ingredients, rice, brown lentils, macaroni, and onions. But origins aside, it's loved by all, even those who don't even know they're downing some vegan food. My favorite being kushari, which is not a typical appetizer or meza dish uh, across the Middle East, but it is origins are actually from an Indian dish called kichari. And it's, it's fascinating when you track the, you know, the evolution of a dish and how it ended up becoming what it is. 
In fact, most of the ingredients in kushri are not native to Egypt. And it's interesting because as it made its way up the Horn of Africa into Egypt, where there was a lot of influence from the broader sort of Mediterranean, we ended up adding macaroni to it. So it has macaroni on the um, in the dish as well as the rice and lentils. And then it's topped with a sort of spicy tomato sauce um, that's cooked in simmered in vinegar to give it a nice tang. Uh, people sort of add different spices to it to make it more or less hot, depending on how much you like it, and topped with crunchy onions. Through trade, colonization, and mass immigration, all the kushri ingredients found their way to the country. To understand it, we need to think back to the time of British colonization. The British army had been living in India since the late 1700s. They then came to Egypt in the late 1800s. And as Brenda mentioned, it is an Indian street food that the British army took a liking to, probably because it is cheap, very filling, and above all, safe to eat. And so it is like a quintessential vegan dish that is full of carbs. And I think Anthony Bourdain is the one who once said it sits in your stomach like a sack of pennies. <laughs> it might have been a sack of quarters. That was good. Sits on your stomach like a sack full of quarters, but, but good. Very good. Here in Paris, there's a well-known restaurant in the north of the city that specializes in kosheri. It's a favorite amongst vegans, vegetarians, and those craving a taste of home. But what does your average meat-loving Frenchman think of it? When you eat, you eat for pleasure. It doesn't matter if it's vegan. In other words, he likes it. So it appears that this hearty vegan meal really is universal. Now we'll go over to the Levant, and specifically Lebanon, which is the source of many popular dishes both within and outside the region. During the 15-year civil war, from 1975 to 1990, Lebanese emigrants departing Lebanon took their culture and food with them all over the world. And with that came a mass appreciation of their cuisine. And guess what? Much of it is vegan. I would say that the Lebanese community, with their very popular falafels and mujaddaras, which is also rice and lentils, the tabbouleh and the fatouches and all of that are they just become more popular. Tabula, fatouche, hummus, these all make up the meze or salads, the starters. Mujadara is Lebanon's answer to kosheri, but the falafel is a star of much of the well-known cuisine. Falafel is also proudly made across the region in Syria and Israel, but it's in Lebanon where it developed its famous reputation. It's a fried fritter of crushed chickpeas seasoned with local herbs such as parsley, dill or coriander, all which are native to the region. The chickpea itself is native to the Levant. If you cross over to Egypt, you'll find the same fritter but with fava, the popular indigenous beans. But the falafel is packed with vegan goodness. The chickpea provides flavor and protein. The vegetables that accompany it give flavor and substance topped off with some tahina crushed sesame sauce, and all of this is wrapped in fresh bread. Now, sesame is one of the oldest crops and likely originates from India and the Sub-Sahara. So through trade, it has made its way into the Middle East, where it remains a staple condiment. Tahina, coupled with falafel, make it a simple street food that you can get readily and cheaply, which is key. It's also easy to replicate outside the country, making it a favorite amongst people across all cultures. We'll 
end our tour of the region's best vegan foods in Yemen. Now, at the start, I did say that there isn't much vegan food on the peninsula, given it's primarily desert. But Yemen is different. Its mountainous landscape provides a large number of microclimates that have created different methods of water conservation and seed adaptation, unlike anywhere else in the world. Its most common crops are cereals such as millet, corn, wheat, and barley. Their most popular dish, asid, is their version of a dumpling, but it's made with wheat flour, corn flour, and millet flour. In short, it's a high-carbohydrate-packed dumpling that's eaten by hand, communal style. It's eaten savory or sweet. So once the dough is prepared and cooked, it's shaped into a giant, thick pancake, and an indentation is made in the middle, where honey or vegetable sauce is poured on top. A side dish of fenugreek sauce is usually prepared as well. So while Westerners jump onto the vegan bandwagon, it's people across the Middle East who are the vegan trendsetters without even knowing it. And if you're put off with vegan, but you love a good falafel and hummus, well, sorry, that's vegan. That's it for this edition of Minis Junction with me, Anne Marie Besada. A special thank you to Guillaume Buffet and Amanda Morrow for their help in this report. Join me next month for another look at the region. To make sure you never miss another podcast, subscribe to your usual podcast platform by searching for RFI Mid East Junction. A new episode comes out the last Saturday of every month. That's RFI Mid East Junction.